Sometimes you want to just go out to dinner or sit in a restaurant and even just have an ice cream cone, but you can't because you don't have any money for that. Scraping by, a Rutgers report shows what life is really like for many of New Jersey's Latina immigrants. Next on A Third of Your Life. You spend a third of your life at work. We're all about making it better. This is the Rutgers School of Management and Labor Relations podcast. New Jersey is a progressive leader in so many areas, but we rank near the bottom on pay equity for Latina women. Now, Rutgers researchers are going beyond the numbers and revealing the many complex challenges facing some of the state's lowest paid workers. Welcome to A Third of Your Life. I'm Steve Flemish, joined by Glenda Gracia Rivera, Director of Professional Development and Training at the Rutgers Center for Women and Work. Glenda, welcome to the show. Hi, Steve. Thank you for having me. You're the lead author on this new report. You teamed up with Deborah Lancaster and Maria Robles to examine the economic and employment conditions of Latina immigrants in New Jersey. Where did you get the idea for this research? So, Steve, we really got the idea um, from a conversation that began uh, about a year and a half ago with the Latino Action Network Foundation. We were in discussions about the stark pay gap between Latinas and um, non-Hispanic white men in the state of New Jersey, seeing as how New Jersey ranks almost dead last in the country. And the foundation operates for Hispanic women's resource centers throughout the state of New Jersey. And those centers offer uh, very crucial services to many Latinas, uh, predominantly immigrants in the state. So we wanted to really take a look at how do we talk to these women to examine some of the barriers that they're experiencing, uh, and then in turn, start thinking about what are some strategies moving forward? How do we think about uh, putting in place some mechanisms that will help close that pay gap. You and your colleagues convened focus groups with 69 clients at these Hispanic Women's Resource Centers. The vast majority of the women you interviewed are not second or third generation Latinas. They are immigrants who came here from places like Mexico and Venezuela and Ecuador, sometimes under very difficult circumstances and they told you what their lives are like here in New Jersey. On an emotional level, what did it feel like to you to hear these stories? Oh, wow. So that, you know, we had eight focus groups and in every single focus group, there were, there were tears. There was a lot of emotion. There was lots of stories about some of the conditions they were escaping in their home countries. Um, so, you know, it was, for me personally, right, like I think about my mom's experience, so that hit close, close, close to home. Um, our colleague is also here from another country, so it hit close to home for her. So we were all emotionally invested in hearing their stories and being able to give them a voice. Um, a lot of them were happy to have the opportunity to kind of just even talk about their experience and tell us a little bit about what their, you know, what their barriers are, what what some of the hardships are, because they did know that we were going to synthesize this into a report that was going to hopefully put forth some policy recommendations. So, um, you know, the emotions were high. <laughs> um, and and that that's definitely for us as, uh, you know, as Latinas ourselves, 
um, two of us on the project, you know, it was something that hit close to home. In the report, you discuss the many barriers to employment. These women have limited professional networks in the U.S., and about half of them rely on family and friends for job leads. What are some of the specific challenges they face when trying to find work? So first and foremost, uh, you know, coming here from a foreign country and not speaking the language is a huge barrier. So a lot of them were very, you know, expressed their frustration about not being able to speak English. Uh, That was, you know, the, the main thing that we heard from a lot of them. So a lot of them were actually accessing services, you know, ESL classes at these Hispanic Women's Resource Centers, um, because that was sort of initially one of their most imminent needs was they they were here, they wanted to work, so they had to learn the language. Uh, another one that was really high up was child care, because so many of them had uh, school age or preschool age children. Child care was an issue, so it, it the lack of access to child care meant that they had limited hours available to uh, work a full-time job. So they were then sometimes forced to look for part-time jobs that were evening or weekend hours so that they could contribute a little bit to the household. They didn't have anyone to care for their children during the day or pick them up from school or drop them off, right? You're working a regular nine-to-five job, really hard. Who's going to be, you might be able to pick up your child but not drop them off or vice versa, right? So that that was a struggle. Even, you know, some of them talked about like passing off responsibilities, trying to coordinate schedules with their spouses or other family members. Um, so the childcare thing was really big also. And then we, we, you know, we heard other things, obviously for some of them, uh, the fact that they were undocumented. So their immigration status was a barrier. They felt like they they could only access certain jobs because, you know, they quote unquote had no papers. Uh, transportation was another big one and uh, outright discrimination. A lot of them did talk to us about stories of um, specific discriminatory practices or things that were said to them in interviews or ways that they were treated by employers because of whether it was the language barrier or or the race, race ethnicity thing. So those were those were the main barriers that we discovered in talking to them. Glenda, you made a great point in a TV interview after the report came out. You said these women are not looking for a handout. They want to work. Yeah, I feel like that is one of the things that really popped out at me again. All of them, when we talked about aspirations, they want to get a a steady job. They wanted to further their education, buy a house. Uh, you know, some of them talked about wanting to open up a business. So really, they wanted to participate in the workforce, and they just want to be treated fairly and paid fairly for the work that they are doing. So it's not a handout. It's, you know, doing really hard labor, doing incredibly difficult work in some circumstances, and just wanting to be treated like a human being, right? Some of them talked about feeling invisible, feeling like they don't exist, you know, lots of just poignant stories about that. So, you know, it wasn't about wanting to have something handed to them. It was about, no, we want to work for it. We want to participate in this economy. Um, We just want to be treated well. 
So what happens when Latina immigrants do find work? What kinds of jobs do they get in New Jersey? So a lot of them were working in sectors where, especially if you think about the English proficiency issue, a lot of them were working in fields in which they necessarily didn't have to speak a lot of English to be able to get the job done, which is why we saw such a great representation of them in the cleaning and maintenance industry, right? Like you kind of have to have just a, a very basic understanding of, you know, what is it that you want done and, you know, they can just go about their business cleaning, um, restaurant service work too. So you think about um, bussing tables, you know, just bringing out food, cleaning dishes in the back, those types of things. Again, don't really need a whole lot of English for for those types of jobs. So that's where we saw a lot of them. And then there was also um, a lot of them participating in care work. Uh, a lot of them were uh, either home health aides or we saw that there were a few of them who were working in child care centers, uh, preschools and things of that nature, some nursing homes. So that, that that's where we really saw them. There were there were a handful of them who were also doing factory work. So, again, if you think about, you know, the types of jobs that they could access if you're doing some sort of line work in in a factory, right, you're on a production line. Um, you can learn a couple basic phrases or things and, and, and you could do your job without having to have a, a mastery of the language. So um, they are really pretty much relegated to a lot of those low wage jobs. And with so many Latinas working in low wage jobs, I guess it's no wonder we have such an enormous pay gap. New Jersey ranks near the bottom on pay equity for Latinas, 49th of the 50 states, with only California faring worse. Latinas in New Jersey earn, on average, 45 cents for every dollar a non-Hispanic white man earns, scraping by on just $27,000 to $30,000 per year. Part-time and seasonal workers earn even less. What about the women in your focus groups, Glenda? What did they tell you about their financial situation? So most of them were you know, barely making it to cover their, their basic expenses, they were having trouble in most instances making ends meet. And they talked about living in dwellings where there were multiple people in the household. They talked about having to use credit cards to cover some expenses. Very few of them, I want to say it was probably only four of them who really talked about having time for leisure activities, we did we did talk to them like, what do you what do you do on your free time? There was no free time, right? They were either caring for children or trying to work, and so uh, I think only two of them said they had extra money for leisure activities. So when you think about, out of sixty nine people, only two of them had money um, to spend on themselves or for leisure activities. That's like. It feels really dehumanizing. Uh, one woman in particular talked to us about sometimes you want to just go out to dinner or sit in a restaurant and even just have an ice cream cone, but you can't because you don't have any money for that. How much is an ice cream cone? That one hit me particularly hard, right? So you think about, wow, you can't even afford a 3 or $4 ice cream cone. Again, so dehumanizing. Um, and th those things really stuck with me. And low wages are just 
Part of the problem I see in the report very few of the women, just 7%, have paid time off to care for themselves or a loved one. Most of them were unaware of New Jersey's earned sick leave and paid family leave laws. So what do they do when they get sick? They still go to work, right? And that wasn't surprising to us, uh, you know, right? Our center has been doing work on paid leave for a very long time, and we've been hearing these conversations um, from lots of populations of people, but predominantly when you think about our um, our immigrant groups, uh, it's, it's, it's even more compounded because there are less legal protections. They are less likely to speak up around some of these issues. Uh, so it was no surprise to us that they weren't aware of some of those laws in place uh, to protect some of their rights, uh, but you know they, they didn't know. One of the findings that struck me in the report is that women who are scraping by, 83% earn just enough money for basic expenses, are still stretching themselves even thinner by sending money to struggling family members. Yeah, that one really got me also just thinking about you're barely able to pay your own bills and um, you don't have any leisure, any money for leisure on your own. You, you know, you may have to cover some of your costs with credit cards. And yet here you are still making the effort and, you know, making it a priority that some of that money goes home to help the family members who are still in your home country. Some of them were also helping family members here as well. It's a sense of duty for them, right? They feel like it's an expectation. It's kind of like a given. And that's how many of them talked about it. Like, yeah, my mom's there. Um, some of them had children who were still in their home countries. And it, and, and it was kind of like, duh, like what else are we supposed to do? So like, even though we hear are facing really difficult circumstances, they have it worse, right? And so it's my expectation or it's my duty to be able to send them some money because I'm the one who's here, right? And it's sort of like, I'm the one who made it out. So I have to give back, right? Um, there were even two or three of them who were donating to small community funds or types like foundation types. Um, so that was also like, again, another feeling like I have to give back. I was able to make it here. And even though I'm struggling here, um, I left a really tough situation and they are still there. So I have to do something for them. You have a section in the report about dreams and aspirations. 29% of the women in the focus group say learning English is their number one goal. And that's why many of them have enrolled in ESL classes at their Hispanic Women's Resource Center. What else did the women tell you they would like to do? This was our favorite question. And I will just kind of give a shout out to my colleague, Deb Lancaster, because we were talking about which of the questions we would cut. And I kind of was like, okay, if we don't have enough time, we'll cut that question. And she pushed back. And I'm so glad that she did and that we didn't because it was like it really left us let us close out with a really aspirational, forward-looking view of things. Um, one of the things that really stuck out to all of us was even though they are having such a hard time making ends meet and there were really tough situations and hardships that they were experiencing, so many of the women were very hopeful also. There was still so much hope and gratitude 
right? Like those are the two words that come to mind in thinking about like, but we're here and we have an opportunity and we want to just kind of like build and grow here, right? I mentioned it before. We want to participate in this economy. We want to work and we have the opportunity to do that. And so there was this feeling of, even though it's hard, we have we have hope that it's going to get better and we're going to work for it to get better. So a lot of them really, uh, so many more of them wanted to start their own companies. Um, there was a lot of talk about entrepreneurship. And so they wanted to see if the centers talked about, like, could we get some classes in starting our own company? So, um, you know, that was some of their dreams and aspirations in starting their own companies, furthering their education, right? A lot of them just wanted to get a full-time, a steady full-time job here that was going to help them provide for their families. A lot of them, an overwhelming majority of them, especially those who had children, just talked about wanting their children to have an opportunity to become professionals, to go to school, to study, and um, you know, work in better jobs than they had to work. So it really was just like, we wanna do better for them. So that was a lot of what we saw. The Hispanic Women's Resource Centers are working to help Latinas achieve their goals. The Latino Action Network Foundation supports four centers across the state the Community Affairs and Resource Center based in Asbury Park, the Hispanic Family Center of Southern New Jersey in Camden, the Morris County Organization for Hispanic Affairs in Dover, and La Casa de Don Pedro in Newark. The funding for these four centers comes through the New Jersey Department of Children and Families Division on Women, as well as other public and private sources. What kinds of services do these centers provide? Oh my gosh. Um, it's like soup to nuts. <laughs> um, it, it does vary based on which center we're talking about. But when you think about just some of the basic things, they were offering English classes. Um, they offer lots of employment services such as uh, referrals, specific job training in certain areas. Some of them would help with resume writing interview skills. There were a lot of them who talked about like how much it helped them with um, interviewing, particularly in English, right? That's like really nerve wracking. It's hard enough to go on an interview, but then you have to go on an interview and speak a language that you're not necessarily comfortable with. So they talked about those things. They talked about being able to get computer classes. They also, even just things as simple as translating letters that they got from their school. So if they, they got letters sent home from their children's school and they couldn't understand what it was, they the, the centers would help them translate, help them respond to the letters or address some of the concerns. Um, so that translation services, there has been an uptick in counseling and therapy services. A lot of them do energy assistance. Some of them even do driving lessons or help them pay for driving lessons. Um, domestic violence services was also um, a pretty, you know, that I, I feel like that may be a cornerstone of how the um, uh, some of the services that the centers were offering early on when they first started out in in the um, late '80s, early '90s. Yeah, soup to nuts. Nutrition services, like they would go get food bank things, and you know, they could get referrals to medical services. Just like a little bit of everything. 
they've seen a massive spike in demand in recent years, jumping from 209 clients in 2016-17 to 3,309 clients served in 2020-2021. In the report, you recommend that New Jersey expand its support by establishing new centers in places like Passaic County, increasing funding to the existing centers, enabling them to add housing, immigration, and legal services, and empowering the centers to provide mental health services to clients, many of whom come to New Jersey with trauma histories made worse by the economic and employment challenges we've been discussing. What do you think it would mean for Latinas in New Jersey if the state followed those recommendations and provided more support for the Hispanic Women's Resource Centers? Yeah, I think it would mean a huge boon for the state. Latinos are one of the largest economic contributors to the state of New Jersey. They're opening their own businesses up at like exponential rates, right? So really thinking about expanding some of these services, right? If these women were able to become more self-sufficient, if they're able to really provide for their families, if they're able to access childcare services and really get into you know, full-time, well-paid jobs, we really think about what is that going to mean for New Jersey? That means New Jersey is going to be that much better off because they are such huge contributors to the economy. In the end, Glenda, what is the biggest takeaway from your report? More than anything, what do you want people to know about Latina immigrants in New Jersey? I think I'm going to go back to like, they just want to provide for their families. They want to be able to, right, like take a sick day off, um, not have to worry every waking minute about how they're going to cover their expenses, pay all of their bills. We tend to look at immigrants as an other, right? And we all really just want the same things. We all want to be able to provide a better life for our children and our families. We want to work in a place that we're respected and that we are um, being paid fairly for um, take a sick day if we're sick, right? Not have to go stay home with our sick kids, not have to send them to school. So that to me is the, is the biggest, the biggest takeaway. The report is titled Una Mano Amiga en Este País, A Helping Hand in This Country, by Glenda Gracia Rivera, Deborah Lancaster, and Maria Robles of the Rutgers Center for Women and Work. You can find it on our website, smlr.rutgers.edu. That's smlr.rutgers.edu. Click on News at the top of the homepage. Glenda, thank you for your important work on this and for being on the show. Thanks so much, Steve. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to A Third of Your Life, the Rutgers School of Management and Labor Relations podcast. For more information on our academic programs, faculty, and research, visit smlr.rutgers.edu.